Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey there, it's Michael Lewis. Before we get to this episode, I want to let you know that you can listen to each episode of Judging Sam, The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, ad-free by becoming a Pushkin Plus subscriber. And with your subscription, You'll also get exclusive access to ad-free and early bingeable podcasts, like Paul McCartney's new podcast, McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History, The Happiness Lab from Dr. Laurie Santos, and tons of other top shows from Pushkin. Sign up in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm slash plus. Welcome to Judging Sam, The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm Michael Lewis. Sam is the founder of a cryptocurrency exchange called FTX that at one point was worth $40 billion. Some thought that he'd bring cryptocurrency into the mainstream. Others thought that he might save the world with his philanthropy. But instead, his fortune is gone, and he's been charged with financial crimes that could put him in prison for the rest of his life. I spent a year and a half reporting on Sam. I was there for the good days, which were astronomically good. And I was there for the catastrophic collapse. While Sam was under house arrest, I visited him often. And I wrote a book about it all. It's called Going Infinite, The Rise and Fall of a New Tycoon. You can hear more about the book and Sam's backstory in our last episode. But now we're picking up where the book left off and following the trial that will decide Sam's fate. I won't be able to go every day, but producer and reporter Lydia Jean Cott will. And she and I will be talking regularly about the twists and turns of the proceedings. And we'll bring you more, like interviews with experts, eyewitnesses, and sources I've developed throughout my time reporting on Sam. In this episode, Lydia Jean has questions for me and Rebecca Mermelstein, a defense attorney at the law firm O'Melveny & Myers. We'll talk about what we can expect to happen today, which is the first day of Sam's trial. So Lydia Jean, what's on your mind? Thanks, Michael, and welcome, Rebecca. We're recording this on September 26th, but it's exciting to think that when this episode comes out, Sam's trial will be underway. As I'm getting ready to report on it, I have a few questions for both of you. 
Michael, I'm going to start with you. So I was wondering if maybe we could go back to the beginning of this chapter of Sam's life. Where were you when you heard that Sam Makeman Freed had been indicted? God, you know, it's funny. I don't remember where I was then because the trouble had been brewing for so long before then. I was, I, God, I might have been in the Bahamas. I was back and forth for this period from the, the point uh, the, that FTX collapsed in November of last year to the point when he's extradited in end of December. I was in Bahamas at least half the time. Yeah. And what were you thinking when all of this was was beginning? How did you process it at the time? It, un- it unraveled so quickly. It went from being a-, a company that venture capitalists were valuing at $40 billion to a company that was bankrupt in like three days. And when that happened, I had a couple of thoughts at once. Some of them, several of these thoughts I had were ignoble. The ignoble <laughs> thought was, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to write this book. And now I know how I'm going to write this book. And the story is unbelievable. And I can't believe I'm sitting in the middle of it and getting to watch it. The immediate thought was the incredulity at the panic in the air that there were hundreds of employees of FTX in the Bahamas who just ran for the airport. And it was this wonderful quiet uh, where it was just me and Sam and Sam's parents and Sam's therapists and one or two brave souls from FTX who hadn't fled. I also thought how curious it was, the speed with which it went from this pretty widely admired and reputable operation to being viewed as this vast criminal enterprise without there being a whole lot of new data, except for the fact the money was in the wrong place. The money wasn't there. There was supposed to be $15 billion inside of FTX that then a lot of that was not inside FTX. It was clearly inside of Sam's hedge fund. But before that, the most important executives in the place could explain what had happened or had any idea what had happened. Everybody changed their mind all at once. So there was, it was, it's just like how fast it went from one judgment to another judgment. Was there a part of you that was like, maybe this will all blow over? Or were you like, this is, there's a before and there's an after, and now this is an after. Things a, will never be the same. That's a good question. Uh, no, I thought things would never be the same. Sam thought for the first five or six weeks that he was going to revive the exchange with the help of, um, some Asian crypto people, and that, it, that this was all resolvable. I couldn't really see that path. Uh, and that these things run on trust. And it went from being very trusted, like nothing in crypto is that trusted, but as things go in crypto, maybe the most trusted, I mean, its brand was trust, to being completely not trusted. And once that happens, it's very hard to kind of get it back. So I didn't think it. Was, I didn't think he was coming back. It was interesting to watch him flop around, trying to figure out how to get it back. Um, the other thing I remember, and Rebecca can speak to this, the lawyers came in and out. His lawyers came in a couple of times, and I remember talking to them early December, mid December, how long it would take before the United States government actually felt it had its case. And it was strong enough that they wanted the Bahamas to extradite him and then bring him to the States. And I remember the lawyers thinking they had many months, like that they didn't think this was going to happen that fast because it was too complicated and everybody needed to understand what happened first. And that was it. So that was a shock to everyone, even the, even the pros, like how fast mm-hmm. they got him out of there and how fast they got him here. Rebecca, could you maybe just summarize what exactly Sam has been charged with? 
Sure. I think they largely fall into really three related issues. The first is there's an allegation that he defrauded the investors in FTX basically by lying, right? And that's going to be a theme here again and again and again about misrepresentation. So there's some charges that relate to lies and defrauding of investors in FTX. There are alleged lies to lenders. So there's were loans that had been made to his entities, and there's allegations that he lied to those lenders, both to get money from them and then to keep money from them, to keep them from taking their money back. And then, of course, lies to FTX customers, to people who were sending at currency, right, dollars, yen, lira, to accounts that were purportedly held at FTX. It turns out they were largely held at Alameda. It's part of the problem. And then stealing that money from his customers without their knowledge. So that's the big framework. I think those are the three areas you're going to hear the most about at the trial. That breaks down into seven different charges in this case. Often you're going to see a what we call a substantive offense, that he did a certain crime, he committed a certain crime, and also a conspiracy, which is a companion to it, right? It's a separate crime to agree to commit the crime with other people. And so you're going to see those go together a lot. So you have a wire fraud on the FTX customers and a conspiracy to do that same thing. You have a wire fraud on Alameda's lenders. You have a conspiracy to do that same thing. And then you have conspiracy to commit securities fraud in relation to FTX investors, a conspiracy to commit commodities fraud on FTX customers, and finally, money laundering, which basically is an allegation that he was hiding the money he was stealing. It's interesting to me, if a, a layperson reads the charges, they, there's no, they can't visualize the crime. And they, and I, I, I think of the problem is like all one big problem. The money was in the wrong place. And <laughs> and that's pretty simple. Like money that should have been in cold storage in FTX was in hot little hands of Alameda Research. And and then it gets framed with all these complicated words and in kind of abstract terms like wire fraud. How does that even come about as an idea that we're going to charge him not with the money being in the wrong place, but in him sending electronic messages that hide the fact that the money is in the wrong place? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's really a quirk of the federal system, which is to say something happens. Everyone has the feeling it's a crime. You have to match it to a statute. There has to be something that makes it a crime. But the reason wire fraud is a federal crime is because after you have to have the misleading statement and the effort to defraud, you have to have an interstate or international wire. And that gives the federal government the power to regulate it, and it gives federal prosecutors the power to prosecute it. So it's a little bit of a funny quirk. If Sam is found guilty on all seven counts that he's been charged with, how long could he go to prison for? The maximum as a matter of law is a little over 100 years. Is that likely, though? Would he serve them consecutively? It's a great question. So you can structure a sentence a lot of different ways. Will he actually get 110 years in prison? It would be a very extraordinary sentence for a white-collar defendant, even a white-collar defendant at this scale. I think it's unlikely. The statutes say this is the most amount of time a judge could give him in jail. But the sentencing guidelines are a very complicated algorithm that gives judges a recommended range for someone. And in a fraud case, the overwhelming the most important factor is the loss amount in the case. And this one's obviously off the charts. Yeah. And so his guidelines range here, I haven't looked at it, but I'm almost certain, will be life in prison. 
which is not very useful as a recommendation to a judge. So I would say he's looking at a lot of time, but you shouldn't use the statutory maximum sentence as a presumption about what he's looking at. Sam's now in jail at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn. And his lawyers have been saying that the fact that he's held there has been making it hard for them to work with him. You've had clients at the Metropolitan Detention Center, is that right? I have. Can you describe what it's been like to to work with them? There's no question it's extraordinarily harder to help someone prepare for trial or even for any part of their case when they're in prison for any number of reasons. Prisoners, by and large, can't make phone calls. Um, They do have some access to phone time. Those phone calls are recorded in every instance. Um, There is inmate email. Again, the government has access to that. They are almost certainly reading Sam Bankman-Fried's emails. And you don't want to risk that they're going to look at something you're saying to your client. So if you think about what that means about visiting your client, that means every time you want to see your client, you have to go out to Brooklyn. MDC is kind of a little bit in the middle of nowhere, relatively speaking. It's not an easy place to get to. You have to go through prison security. You have to lock your possessions in a locker. You have to go through a metal detector. There are very strict rules about what colors you can wear. You can't wear colors that are the colors of inmate uniforms, so no khaki, no orange, And then there's a lot of waiting, right? There's a lot of bureaucracy, and you are really at the mercy of a BOP prison guard who's not all that interested in being helpful. And so you wait. You wait to be let into the visiting room. You wait for them to bring your client down. Twice a day, inmates are counted. That is, the whole prison shuts down so that every single person can be counted, and nobody can leave or enter at that time. Sometimes it takes an hour. So you could get stuck. You're done, but you can't leave. Or the other way, you could be waiting to get in. So everything is very, very, very slow. And without seeming rhyme or reason, there's often just a shutdown and you get there and you can't go in. So it's extremely frustrating, as you might imagine. Yeah. I actually tried to visit the MDC yesterday, a half an hour Uber, and they were doing prisoner count. And I wasn't allowed in. And they made me stand in this basically bus stop area where I couldn't see anything that was happening at all. And I gave up. So did you actually knock on the door and say, can I come in? I stood in front of the door and then a guard came up to me and asked me what I was doing. And I said I was a journalist. And he said, you can't come in. You had no one to see, though. You had no purpose there. I know. I just wanted to see how far I would get. (laughs) (laughs) You're the only one in America trying to get into jail. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. I did not make it very far. I made it right to the to the front steps. We'll be right back. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility, 
their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards that's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Judging Sam, the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, Rebecca, I was wondering if you could give us a preview of what we should expect to happen on the first day. Sure. So the first day I expect will largely consist of jury selection which is to say that people will be brought in in a veneer, 30, 40, 50 people at a time typically. And these are people who live in the New York City area. So it's going to include Manhattan, the Bronx, Westchester, and a few of the southernmost counties of the Southern District of New York. And they're going to have been received a summons in the mail that tells them to come in. They won't know that they're coming in for any particular case. And actually, there'll be hundreds of people sitting in a main room called up one at a, you know, in groups to whatever courtroom needs to pick a jury that day. It may not only be Sam Bankman-Fried next week. And then the judge will ask a series of questions, some of which are virtually standard for every single criminal trial, and other of which the parties have asked the judge to ask, and he's agreed, that are specific to this trial, to try to ascertain a few things. Is this a person who can sit at this trial or any trial, for example, if you don't speak English fluently, then you can't be a juror? right? If you have a medical condition, that means you can't sit for a long period of time in a chair. You can't be a juror. Do you have a small child at home and you're not able to stay you know, until five o'clock because you have to do school pickups? So you're going to get a lot of people who just say, I can't be here for logistical reasons, um, some of whom really can't and some of whom just don't want to be on a jury. And then you're going to get people who have strong opinions about facts that are related to this case that they are going to say or the parties are going to determine 
make them unable to be an impartial juror. If you lost money in the FTX bankruptcy, you probably can't be a juror on this case. If you are best friends with Chris Everdell, who's one of Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyers, then you probably can't be on this jury. And so you'll have a long process of trying to weed through people who can really be impartial and sit in a fair way and listen to the facts and learn them for the first time and not be affected by what they may have heard other places and decide. And I could be wrong. Judge Kaplan's a very efficient judge, but that is very likely to take the whole first day and that will be all that happens. And it's a little interesting for a few minutes and then it gets a little repetitive. Is it possible it goes on for a, a much longer time? Can it take It certainly weeks? could. I would say it's not unusual for it to spill into a second day. It would be pretty unusual for it to spill into a third, but it could. You mentioned that Judge Kaplan is pretty efficient. So, yeah, the judge in this case, his name is Lewis Kaplan. And Rebecca, you're a former prosecutor in the Southern District of New York. That's the office that's bringing this case against Sam. That's right. What can you tell us about Judge Kaplan? So I never tried a case in front of Judge Kaplan, but I would say his reputation is as someone who is um, very smart, very confident in his own decision making. He makes decisions quickly. Some judges have a reputation that whoever spoke last kind of convinces them. I don't think that's true with him. And I think on balance, he's seen as someone who's a good judge for the government, both because I think he's friendly to the government's purpose, which is not to say that he's not impartial, but he's not kind of an doesn't have an anti-prosecutor bent. And at the end of the day, I always felt as a prosecutor, and now I still feel this way as a defense lawyer, that judges who are rigorous about enforcing the rules of the courtroom, about um, enforcing limitations on what's admissible and the rules of evidence, are better for the government because the government is more likely to be playing by the book. And as defense lawyers, we often are trying to find a little more wiggle room. And so a judge who doesn't allow that is better for the government than for the defense. Right. It's like the rule followers versus the rule breakers. I don't know that I like to think about myself now as a rule breaker, but it's a fair point. <laughs> rule skeptics. Yes, the rule skeptics. I think that's right. And of course, the other thing that's interesting about Judge Kaplan here is that the defendant has really pissed him off by his pretrial antics, if you will. And I don't think that Judge Kaplan is going to let that affect the way he handles the trial itself. But I think it's a bad sign for sentencing. Right. I was going to say, like, in a case like this, what difference does who the judge is make? Because at the end of the day, right, it's the jury that decides whether Sam is guilty or innocent. Oh, but I think the judge makes an enormous amount of difference in lots of ways. The first is that there are lots of evidentiary rulings that could go either way, that reasonable minds can disagree. And trial judges have an enormous amount of discretion to control the flow of evidence in their courtroom. Some judges, even though they tell a jury, you shouldn't read anything into my questions, you shouldn't read anything into how I rule on objections, I don't have any opinion. Juries love judges. They watch judges for signs, and they interpret every single thing the judge is doing. So again, really matters. And then judges have an enormous amount of discretion at sentencing. And so if you you can, there actually are statistics published on this, you can see some judges are really light sentencers, some are really harsh sentencers. Again, it really matters. Okay, another question for you, Rebecca. Let's move forward to opening statements. If you were to make a bingo card for what you would expect the prosecution and the defense to say in their opening statements, what would you put on those cards? Let's start with the prosecution. Okay, that's a fun question. You'll see, I predict, that the government's opening will have the same form it always does. It's going to have what's called a grab, a quick, pithy, kind of interesting way to grab the jury's attention. 
And then they'll kind of pause. They're going to explain what happened here. They're going to tell the story of the downfall of FTX. And then they'll talk about how they're going to prove that to the jury. Who's going to come talk to them? What kind of documents they're going to see? So they're going to talk about lies. They're going to say, lie, lie, lie. Lie to FTX investors. Lie to customers. Lie to lenders. I think there's a possibility that you'll hear some kind of victim vignettes, right? The the little old lady in Topeka who lost her life savings in the downfall, right? Because it puts a human element on it. Otherwise, it's it's a little abstract and you want to really say these are real people. This wasn't monopoly money. It mattered. So I expect you'll, you'll hear about victims. I think you'll hear the word victim. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you, surprised if you heard things like greed, right? And I guess that's not enough words for a bingo card. No, that's good, though. But we I have. think that's... That's probably the the top ones I'd pick. And if you're the defense, you're going to hear a lot about cooperators, I predict, as I think has been sort of widely published at this point. There are people who have pled guilty and agreed to cooperate in this trial. And so the defense is going to have to go on the offense there. And you're going to hear a lot about why those people can't be trusted, what their incentives were to cooperate, and why they're lying. I also think you're going to hear a lot about a rush to judgment. This moved really fast. And so it moved so fast in ways that the jury won't actually get to hear about that charges had to be dropped because they weren't brought fast enough and the government got over its skis. And you're going to want to say they don't understand what happened. They saw this thing. These young, hungry prosecutors wanted to make a name for themselves and they jumped the gun and they don't really understand it. And I think tied to that theme is going to be complexity, right? This stuff is hard to understand. It's easy to make a mistake, either that the government has made a mistake or that Sam Bankman-Fried himself didn't understand certain things. I would expect to be part of the defense theme. For our final question, it's for both of you. You both have talked about how in the trial, right, the prosecution is going to say a story about whether Sam is guilty or innocent, and the defense is going to say a story about whether Sam is guilty or innocent. And, Michael, you called it a story war. I guess I wonder, what do you think the bigger story is? Like, why should listeners care, or why do they care so much about Sam's guilt or innocence? It's a great question uh, that uh, it's puzzled me. Like, I thought when all this thing, when it blew up in November, that I thought by, by January, everybody would be bored with it. The culture moves so fast from one story to the next, and its memory is so short. This story has not done that. People have had an enduring interest, consuming interest in in, uh, FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. My first guess as to why that is, is they don't feel like, no matter what they say on Twitter, uh, they don't feel they actually understand it. So it hasn't resolved itself in their minds as a completely clean story. Uh, There's a tinniness to, oh, Crypto crook. He was a crypto crook from the beginning. Nobody saw it. He fooled everybody. That, that story is kind of a boring story. Uh, they know it's more interesting than that. They just don't know. They don't know. Uh, and that they don't know bothers them. Do you know? I think so. I mean, I think as best as I, I've tried to describe it. And I, I hope the reader puts down the book and feels their own conviction about what happened. But it's never died down. When, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried is discovered to be living on peanut butter and bread in, in, the, in the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn. And it's front page news in the New York Times. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like people can't get enough of it. Uh, yeah. And I think it's because they don't, they think they don't completely understand it. 
there's something about this story that's not adding up. That's we're, right. We're bothered by that. We want to know. Yes. What do you think, Rebecca? Well, it's interesting because you asked two questions, which is why should we care and why do people care? And and actually, I'm not sure we should care as much as people do. You know, this is in some ways just just one of so many crimes. And, you know, especially when we talk about something like the food at the MDC, and I think you've seen some statements in the press by the federal defenders saying, like, we hope this press attention on this one person will actually motivate change for everyone because these are not new things, right? Lots of these things are true for every person who's in, who's in jail. And MDC is a jail for people, by and large, awaiting trial. So every single one of them has not yet been found guilty and they're subject to these conditions. And why should we care so much about this one person? Why do we care? I think part of it is an Icarus story, right? There's a schadenfreude to it, which is here's this boy wonder king who seemed to be using his you know, brain to, to just print money and become so successful. And there's a little bit of human nature to say kind of good, right? I knew it couldn't be that easy. If it were that easy, we'd all be doing it. And it must have been must have been a fraud. And I'm glad to see him kind of get what's coming. And so I think that creates kind of an, an interest in it. And then, of course, it is important because I think for a lot of people, crypto felt like an area where you could print money, where anybody could make money. And it's important for people to understand sort of what the cost is of having an unregulated currency. I mean, it's more and more regulated, of course, but the dangers of crypto writ large are a little bit on display when you talk about how this could fail so spectacularly. Whether it was a crime or not, it it certainly failed spectacularly. We'll be back in a minute with one last thing. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle to everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. 
The City of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the City of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back with one last thing. Our one last thing today is about a lawsuit against Sam's parents. Recently, lawyers for FTX sued them in an attempt to get money back to repay their creditors. In this suit, FTX alleges that Sam's parents either knew or willfully ignored signs that Sam was, quote, orchestrating a vast fraudulent scheme. I should also note here that my boyfriend is a lawyer at Sullivan and Cromwell. That's one of the firms that's been representing FTX in the bankruptcy, but not Sam Bankman Freed. He and I have a firewall up about this case, and Sullivan and Cromwell is not involved in this particular lawsuit against Sam's parents. Rebecca, I wonder what stood out to you most about this suit against Sam's parents. I should preface it by saying that I am not a bankruptcy lawyer. This is really sort of outside of my area of interest, but I think one question it raises for a lot of people outside the law is, are they next, right? Are they going to be charged with a crime? Yeah. And what can we interpret from the fact that this lawsuit was brought? And I think the short answer is not that much. And I should say that I did some homework for this one and spoke to one of the partners at my law firm, O'Melveny, named Daniel Shama, who's an expert in bankruptcy. So here's what I learned that was really interesting, which is there's something called a clawback in bankruptcy, which is... Once a bankruptcy happens, you can claw back, you can take back money from people who got money from the entity that went bankrupt. And there's rules about how that works. There's time limits. There's all kinds of things. But the one that's the most relevant here is called a fraudulent transfer. And what that means is that within a window of a number of years before the bankruptcy, you can take back money from people who got it if two different kinds of things happened. One is that There was an actual intent to defraud creditors. That's the legal language. And what I mean by that is you knew the ship was sinking, so you gave a lot of money to your parents so that it would be there for you, right? That would be a fraudulent transfer because you were doing it to keep the money away from creditors in the bankruptcy, people who were owed money. The other one is when it might have been that the person who got money didn't even know that they were doing anything wrong, but they received something for, quote, less than reasonably equivalent value or fair consideration. So what does that mean? If I give you a Monet, right, from from my company, and I only charge you a dollar for it, you have not paid reasonable consideration for it, right? It's another way of getting the money out of the entity before the ship sinks. So the idea is still you, would, you gave me the Monet because you wanted the Monet to be safe? 
it doesn't have to be that that's why. In other words, if I gave it to you and it wasn't really justified, even if there wasn't necessarily a nefarious intent, there can be enough for a clawback. And so, you know, you can imagine, for example, um, you know, uh, the person who delivers copy paper to FTX realizes things are not going well. And they say, we'd like you to pay our bill in full right now instead of normally gets paid every 60 days. That's not there's nothing fraudulent about that. But now this creditor might have gotten more than their fair share than someone else. Right. So that's another kind of place where you'd have a clawback. You'd say, well, wait a minute. We have to get all the money back in one place and give everyone their fair share. You didn't you don't get to pay pay it in full. Right. So I think the question with Sam's parents here is, you know, were these fraudulent transfers? And obviously the allegation is, yes, that they knew or should have known that this money that came to them was not legitimate. What's the punchline? That is just a totally different standard than a criminal standard. To say that they should have understood that something was awry or that they got money that they didn't really deserve, right? Did did they earn that for some reason? What were they doing that justified these huge payments? That's different than they knowingly participated in the crime and they themselves did things in furtherance of it. So I don't think you can read from this civil lawsuit that charges against them are likely. But I also don't think it's impossible. There are allegations that Sam's mother in particular told him to hide certain donor identity information in connection with campaign contributions. That's a little if that's true, that's kind of a suggestion that she committed a crime. And of course, his father was involved in the business itself. So could they be charged? I think time will tell. But I wouldn't read too much into this lawsuit. Well, Michael Lewis, Rebecca Mermelstein, I am excited to cover the trial and check in with both of you. Thank you, LJ. Anytime. This episode of Judging Sam was hosted by Lydia Jean Cott. Catherine Girardot and Nisha Venkin produced this show. Sophie Crane is our editor. Our music was composed by Matthias Bossi and John Evans of Stellwagen Symphonette. Judging Sam is a production of Pushkin Industries. Got a question or comment for me? There's a website for that. atrpodcast.com That's atrpodcast.com To find more Pushkin Podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to access bonus episodes and listen ad-free, don't forget to sign up for a Pushkin Plus subscription at pushkin.fm slash plus or on our Apple show page. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, 
you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards. See you there. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.